Welcome to the Fezoro Podcast. No telling what you might find. Listen in on talks and discussions ranging from dream analysis to spiritual or psychological topics to some other things. Soak in the good vibes and thanks for joining us. You taught me how to speak, showed me what to eat, yeah, you gave me lots of friends. You showed me fire burns, you taught me tables turn, now I'm turning on the heat. In today's episode, my oldest son, Ethan, shares two dreams with us. The first recording took place when he was 11 years old. You will hear his high, young voice tell you about his dream of the previous evening. It really showcases so much of Ethan's imagination and wonder as he looks forward to growing up and some of the challenges and discoveries that will come from inside. This was recorded before I had any idea of doing a podcast, and so the recording quality is not the best. I'll comment a little further at the end of the dream. After that, Ethan will share with you a second dream, which he had much more recently at the age of 15. This will give the opportunity to sort of look longitudinally at his development through some of the crucial adolescent years. I think you will get a sense about how dreams over time dialogue with one another, and how even after several years, the second dream really represents a meaningful payoff for some of the issues, tensions, and questions that came up in the first dream. Here's the dream entitled Infrog, which Ethan had at the age of 11, on November 11, 2011. Okay, so what was this dream? Um, so this was a project on an animal that lives in America, and this animal um, doesn't actually exist, but I did one on an infrog, I-N-F-R-O-G, and if you say its name, it'll appear out of underground, because it's an underground living frog, and then it it was the same. So you say infrog, and it just like what, crawls out of the ground or what? Yeah. Or does it appear like poof? Yeah, poof. Uh-huh. And then you can say in frog go back underground and I'll just dig right back underground. And then so I told you about about the frog and I and when I said in frog it just appeared out of nowhere and then you freaked out and then when I said in frog barf it regurgitated regurgitated a big oversized like big oversized um dart frog, a yellow dart frog that was like about the size of an egg. And then we had to get a bunch of scientists to study this frog. How big are these in frogs? Um, they're like about the size of a thigh. A thigh? Yeah, I know. I already knew it was a dream. It's like about the size of a in thigh. In the dream, did you think of it as being the size of a thigh? Yeah. It's such a weird thing to compare it to. It was like really dirty. It was like brown. Was it the shape of a thigh? No. But it was really big and brown. Was it long or fat? Um, fat. And what color was it? It was like brownish green. It was really slimy. <laughs> and it had like dirt all over it since it was underground. Mm-hmm. And I woke up. So it barfed a dart frog. Yeah. When you say in frog, just one comes up. Yeah. Just one. 
And your science project was what, to write about it or what? Yeah, to write about it and... Um, and observe it? And yeah. Stuff? And one of my, one of the um, kids in my class, um, when he was doing his science project on a capuchin monkey, they say that they sound like, I, that they sound like they say, my hand. Um, and so after that, like, Bigfoot just appeared out of nowhere and then it just ran away. It just took him and ran away, so we were, like, sort of freaking out, and I did my project, like, later. So Bigfoot just appeared out of nowhere and just grabbed the kid and just ran away into the woods. I thought you said the last thing that happened was the dart frogs were chasing after you. Yeah, I know, but I'm saying at the beginning of the dream, this kid was doing the project, and Bigfoot came up out of nowhere and grabbed him. Grabbed the kid? Yeah. What was he doing the project on? He was doing it on a capuchin monkey. On a what? Capuchin monkey. Is there such a thing? Yes. A capuchin? Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's the monkey that Acentura has. Oh. And he said that like when they're when they're doing when they're howling it sounds like they're saying, My hand, my hand My hand? Yeah. Do they really sound like that or is that just your dream made that up? Actually they sort of do. My hand, my hand? Yeah, but they don't literally say my hand. It just sounds like they're saying my hand. Mm hmm. So dark fights were chasing you. And you. And me, because I was, what, helping you do the project? No, um, I was telling you about it. Oh. And, uh, just one dark frog was chasing us, but... Yeah. The size of an egg. And why were we running away from him? Um, because dark frogs are poisonous. Yeah, okay. That's pretty weird, dude. So I have some comments about this dream. Did you notice all the inner world imagery? The creature comes once summoned by his own particular student who calls it by name from out of the ground, which is where he disappears into again later. Another tiny frog comes out from inside this frog's mouth. Finally, did you think about the name of the creature in this context? It's called an infrog. I had already been thinking that this is a child discovering his inner self as he grows older, but there is a confirming clue that I am right about this idea in the name of the creature. This shows how clear the unconscious mind can be at times in providing clues to interpretation. It begins with the word in, which can allude to related ideas of inner or internal or inward. Inside is another idea which is reinforced again and again by the frog digging its way into the earth to disappear, and also by the little frog that is regurgitated from within the infrog. Frogs themselves are amphibious creatures that sort of live in two worlds. They are also remarkable for their fecundity, and the myths of many cultures pay attention to these two traits. Is the dart frog his unconscious with its potential hazards and mystery? It's as though the self has layers, like those wooden Russian dolls. There are many ways to play with this imagery that can aid in understanding of Ethan's internal world. Interpretations that feel right and which produce helpful insights are often the most useful. 
All of these ideas, when Ethan and I speak about the dream, seem to produce a satisfying sense for him of understanding himself a little better. This is a dream which we return to and discuss over the years. The conversation about this dream was a little bit like a fascinating lab experiment, where father and son work together to learn about the wondrous and strange being that Ethan is becoming. Ethan describes how once he said the name Infrog, it appeared out of nowhere, and I, his father, sort of freaked out. That reaction is interesting, when you think about how an adolescent starts to have their own ideas that can upset the program and order of family life. Parents often don't know how to respond to their nascent adult that starts breaking boundaries again like he did when he was two years old. Only now he is more powerful and intelligent. Not only can parents feel threatened by this, but in reality, the child aggressively challenges his parent, often especially his father, as has been the case with me and Ethan. Thankfully, I think we are now good friends, but it can feel a little like you're losing your kid or like you're being menaced by the dangerous things that are coming out of your child. A little like that poison dart frog, I even had a corresponding dream a couple of years ago when Ethan was 15 that he tried to kill me. You're going to lose your child in a sense. The questions that remain are what sort of adult will replace the child, and will you be close with the adult? I really feel like some of his ill-fated classmates in the dream foreshadows an intuitive sense Ethan has, that through the ensuing adolescent years, some of his peers, in some way or another, won't make it. So when the one classmate tries to call forth his inner world represented by a capuchin monkey, the response is that a kind of ape-man or Bigfoot runs off with him. This reminds me of how kids can go off the rails during adolescence, with varying negative long-term effects that we are all familiar with. I was interested in how each little kid had his own very different creature that he could call forth. One of the ideas this might point to is just the process of individuation, that as we all sort of grow up, who we become is distinct in many ways from the individual that our peers will grow to become. As people individuate and mature, they distinguish themselves from one another. Since the science project was to write about your animal and observe it, this leads to thoughts about how important reflection and introspection can be in the process of growing up. Dream journaling is really about that process of reflection, and by the way, it's a major theme of the Phasoro podcast, reflecting on who we are as a species, as well as individuals. We need to become skilled observers and dispassionately reflect, taking ourselves into account, so that we can become more self-aware in a positive way. The dream seems to show some confidence and resourcefulness in Ethan. It's interesting to think about where things will lead in his teen years. Fortunately, you will get to find out a little bit about that in the second dream we are about to listen to. Here it is. We call it Apocalypse. So basically, I had this dream that... um, this speaker came to town, like this, uh, like the school, like Ravenwood's, like some of Ravenwood's like alumni were like known to be like the smartest people in the world mm-hmm. of that generation. So we had, that's just in this dream. Yeah. Okay. And so they came and they spoke and everything and they were smart 
and whatever. And then after that whole rally and them talking to us, everyone, uh, school was over. And then after school, I don't know, it was like some kind of apocalypse or something. And people, I don't, I can't remember the context, but basically everyone was partying or whatever. And then someone eventually stupid enough and gets like some gasoline and just pours it all over the, all over the parking lot. And, and it sets the parking lot on fire. And am I to understand that the, stu- the stupid things that people are doing are because... Of the apocalypse. Of the apocalypse. And this is right after smart people had talked to us. I don't know what, what the affiliation is. But then... What, what did they talk to you about? Uh, the apocalypse? The science. Everything. Or whatever. Okay. And then the apocalypse was happening. Like Not like the apocalypse, like, uh, like zombies or whatever. I don't know. Just like weird stuff. Like weather right. changes and like... There wasn't like religious or prophetic significance. No. It was more just the world falling apart and environmental catastrophes yeah. and stuff like that. And then someone basically Man-made like... Man-made apocalypse. Yeah, and then basically people start partying and drinking or whatever. And then um, then mm-hmm. uh, someone like grabs some gasoline and like pours it all over different people just for fun. I don't even know. It was really stupid. Pours it on people. Yeah, just and like grabs gasoline and just going nuts. Are they going to ignite it? No, they're just going nuts. But then because of the apocalypse, because of the huge heat, heat strokes and stuff. And how did the people feel that we're getting drenched in the they gas? They didn't care. They didn't care, okay. And then, I mean, me and my friends cared, but no one else did. And then because of like the apocalypse, all mm-hmm. the, there were like different dramatic weather changes all the time. And then there was like this random like heat spot. It just set everything on fire. And That's fascinating. Let's pause right there for a second. Okay. So I am noticing if you will, three perspectives that emerge in the stream, okay, from three different groups of people. There's the alumni, okay? And these people are coming to talk to you about something important, yes, is that right? And something edifying, I guess, something that is going to encourage you, right? I mean, that would be my assumption. Am I I kind of Mm -hmm, warm, you think? Yeah. That's what an alum would tend to do when they revisit a school. I remember when we were asked to do that at Maxwell. To say a few words to the to the young people, um, share a perspective since we're on the other side. Um, so that's one perspective held by a group of people, the alums. Another perspective are the people who are reveling in the apocalypse, okay, and they're being heedless. And opposite to them, in many ways are you and your friends. And what's, when I say opposite, in what way are you opposite? Well, you're opposite from the people who are reveling in the apocalypse in that you're conscientious. So that's one of the distinctions being made in this dream is that there are those who, who have jeopardized their future mm-hmm. and endangered themselves and others by resigning themselves to the apocalypse. Right? They're yeah. giving up on their future because they're saying, well, there's no future anyway, blah, blah, blah. And then there are you guys who, in some way or another, have not and think that you have a reason to be conscientious. And I'm assuming you guys are probably listening to the alumni more mm-hmm. than the people who are dousing themselves with gasoline and getting drunk. Okay, continue. Um, and so then everything starts catching on fire, and me and some people start like running away and near Ravenwood there's this giant um, like there's like this is actually real life but there's like a 
around this neighborhood, there's like a perimeter that's blocked off that like says like uh, like city building limits where they're not allowed to build stuff there because there used to be there was nuclear waste dumped there. Are you freaking kidding me? Yeah, you didn't know this. How far away is that? Pretty far away. But it's wow. like if you drive near some houses, you'll like see like nearing uh, city oh, building limits. My goodness. Yeah. And so, like, Ravenwood, behind, like, near Ravenwood, there's, like, a bunch of property that's just, like, really, like, yellow and gross, and it's, like, all, f- like, fenced off and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And okay. so, so basically, that was the only safe place to go because no one goes there. And so we, like, me, along with some other people, tried our way to make way through all the, like, stuff catching on fire through Crockett Park, just running through and stuff. Then um, what happens is that that stuff starts catching on fire, but it doesn't like nothing actually burns up. It just starts like like fire. It just starts emerging like in waves, like kind of like like it'll like just kind of like burst across. But then the grass will be fine. It'll do it and it'll like catch some people in it, and some people will get well. Explain to off. me this catching on fire business. What the heck is going on there? I don't know. No one knows. Is it related to the nuclear waste? I don't know. Probably not. No. Is it related to the apocalypse? Yeah. In what way? Like I have no idea. Some kind of natural calamity. So yeah. those waves of fire—they're happening everywhere, not just yeah. not just in the marked yeah. off place. Yeah. Okay. So then, yeah, it's almost like it kind of like set it off or whatever. I don't even know. Like the gasoline, what set just, it off? like the people pouring gasoline, just like kind of like set it off or whatever, and just okay. travels everywhere. But now. even where there's not been gasoline yeah. poured, there are these. Yeah. And so basically, it gets like the fire picks off all of my friends and some other people that I know. Ooh. Like one by one, and by the end of it, it's me and the soccer player, and we run up to the, uh, we run up to the soccer fields or whatever, and we're like running through the soccer fields, and then I go into the woods, and he's like, "No, dude, we shouldn't go there. That's like off limits or whatever." I don't even know what he meant by that. I was like, "Screw you, I'm leaving." And then he's like, "All right, fine." So then he follows me, and then we like land, and we're like hiding in this like. Kind of like a creek area, but it's like droughted out. So there's just kind of like this, like this trench, mm-hmm. and so we're just kind of chilling out there until everything's over. And he's scared. He doesn't know what to do. He's not saying anything. He's just terrified. And me, I end up like, again, I have no idea what's going on. But then I see this like, on the trench. The trench is thin, so we're just kind of hiding there. And then this like car drives over the trench. Like on, so if like this was the trench, this was the car and it was driving over it. So I see something pass by and I look up and then I get out and follow the car because it crashed. Oh, as if it leaped over it by just no. driving fast? No, no, no. It's like driving along the trench. So the aren't trench. You, aren't you in the trench? Yeah, I'm in the trench. It's on top of the trench. So it's like the floor, the trench, and then the car, the wheels oh, are wider the wheels than the trench. Of the, the wheels of the car straddle the trench yeah. because the trench is more narrow than the yeah. car. Oh, so I it's see, just driving over, and then I go, because it crashes, and I see who's in it, and I don't recognize the person, and he was one of the other people that was supposed to make it to that like uh, thing where the alumni were supposed to talk to us. He was one of those people, but he never made it, and he got lost. I don't know why he got lost in the woods, but it happened. Oh, interesting. And I'm over there talking to him, but the other guy doesn't see the person that I'm talking to. He thinks I'm going insane. He doesn't see that. He doesn't see it at all. What he sees is me talking to a brick, which is weird. A brick. Uh-huh. And I'm talking to the person, and he, I can't remember what he said, 
but basically he was just like saying like he like he this guy like he was the smartest out of all the alumni and no one really knew about him because of it uh not because of it but no one really knew about what he discovered or whatever and had something to do with the apocalypse or whatever and had to do with like human nature or whatever blah 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 so he's in some way important and he's almost he's the solution like a hero he's the solution but he goes missing and i'm the only one who can who notices him and listens to him kind of and everybody else per, or other pe- or at least the other guy perceives him as being a brick. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting and important. And then by the end of it he's done talking to me and he's like, "Why are you talking to nothing?" I was like, "Don't you see it's right here?" And I and I'm like, I'm gesturing to the person, but then I see it from his point of view and in his point of view, I'm literally just holding a brick in front of his face. Yeah. I'm just holding a brick. And then so then we sit down back into the trench and I try talking to him and he follows me. But then I see it from his perspective and what he sees is me just putting the brick in my pocket and me walking down to the trench. And oh, then I, I love tell, that. I love that. And it's then so I cool. explained to him. It's so like schizophrenic and I, creepy. I explained to him like what he told me and everything. And I he doesn't that. like, he gets it, but he still doesn't see it. And then, so then I just, then I'm like, you talk to him. And then he tells me, he's like, I can't talk to him. He won't listen to me. And I see it from his point of view, and it's just me, like, throwing the brick on the ground. And then uh, then he says, think about it from his point of view and how scared he is or whatever. Mm. And then so I see it. Not I see it. I see what he sees, but from my eyes instead. But I still know that that's the person. And, it, and instead, this time now, instead of it just being a brick, it's like a black brick with, like, red lines around it and typing that says sorry to stand you up or whatever and that's it and like mm. in my head i'm just like oh like he i don't know but for some reason it was comforting to me i don't even know why i don't know and that was the end of the dream it was really weird and the soccer player yeah tell uh, me about that soccer player that didn't make much sense to me neither did i it's so tell me what happened with the soccer player one more time he was the last one left of the people who left with me to go just run away from everything. So he's a survivor. Yeah, he's the last one. Everyone else was gone. Everyone else either stayed or got picked off by the fire or whatever. Including your friends, which were conscientious and were probably listening, paying more attention to the alumni. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So yeah, it starts off with three simple perspectives that you're dealing with. And, Mm -hmm. you know, think about the alumni in this dream. Yeah. Would you say, wouldn't you think that the alumni kind of represent your future, the image of your future in a way, right? Mm-hmm. So when you and I talk about your future and talk about planning for your future, mm. you know, there's going to be a point when you will be an alumni. And so when you ever deal with an alumni, that's, that's why they have alumni talk to. Have you ever had alumni come to your school and talk to you guys? Mm. Well, they do that at high school sometimes, especially during reunions. And the reason that they do that is because I think that they realize that, you know, the alumni symbolizes for the kids in the high school their future selves. And so they want to help them build that bridge, right? Mm-hmm. But it gets more complicated as the dream progresses because what happens is the apocalypse spreads. And even students who are conscientious, they get... They get taken up in this apocalypse. Mm -hmm. And that one survivor who's the soccer player, what ends up happening to him? He just runs away in fear? At the end of it? Yeah. 
Uh, that was the end of the dream for me. Yeah, he ends up running away in fear, right? No. We go back and I try to explain to him what happened. Oh, it was him that you were trying to explain it to? Yeah, he was the one who was with me the entire time. Oh, where okay. okay. Where he just saw a brick. And the kid, he's like a... He was in my science class in eighth grade, and he was really shy, but he was kind of a jock. I could tell, but he didn't talk much. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I barely even remembered his name. Well, if he's the one survivor other than yourself, that mm. seems to indicate that there's some maybe some positive quality in him that you recognize. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Maybe it's his relationship to soccer. Maybe sports gives him some substance and gives him some connection to his future. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. Here's the main thing. I see in this dream how there is a sense of being initiated into a path towards adulthood, right? Because the, the alumni are trying to reach you guys in the midst of what? In the midst of an apocalypse. An apocalypse means literally a revelation, but we think of it as something very destructive, right? So it's a day of judgment. It's a, it's a, it's a, a, a kind of um, turmoil that will decide whether you guys, who among you is going to survive this transition and become mature functioning, happy adults, good people, uh, creative, and which of you is not going to make it in some way, going to slip through the cracks, and, in, and metaphorically to, to perish, right, in this apocalypse. And that's what's happening, right? The apocalypse is sweeping people up. And it's interesting, the ecosystem of how that operates, because you have some people that are actually catalyzing the apocalypse, right? They're pouring gasoline on things, making things worse. You know people like that, right? Don't you know people who are going around spreading alcohol, spreading pot? Yeah. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, helping to catalyze the destructive aspects that are going to derail a lot of these young people's lives. And it's a very theatrical imagery. You know, it's kind of exaggerating things. Of course, it's not as though you're the only good kid in the whole school and you're the only one that's going to make it or anything. But the dream is being theatrical, you know, because dreams do that. It's very mythological. Um but there is in that initiation, in the alumni trying to reach you, right? The idea is that it's telling you that there are social dangers in your world that are very real, that threaten to destroy you in some sense, right, metaphorically. It looks as though like so many people at the school are actually kind of in trouble and, uh, you know, it's just not happened yet, but they're actually in trouble. But in the midst of this apocalypse that you that you kind of are, are seeing, you in this dream are sort of given a path forward. And what's that path forward, right? Well, that's the interesting thing. What is that path forward? Well, you end up talking to the alum who is the one who is the most, how would you say? Like most accomplished. Not most accomplished, but he was the smartest one out of all of them. Yeah, the cleverest one. The one who he, somehow got it right and figured so, it out. Yeah, like so. Basically, this character, Saul. this character was like the character that Ron Williams Williams played in Goodwill Hunting. 
Kind of like that guy. Yeah. Good, good, good example. Kind of a prodigy. Kind yeah. of a genius. Yeah. Exactly. Prodigy, yeah. Yeah. And, and here is the most interesting part to me, I think. What's the one thing that happens in this dream that really seems magical and hallucinatory? The brick. Right. The fires were weird and were mythological in some sense. But in the dream, there was no sense that this was a magical or, or, or a psychedelic kind of an experience. It was the idea was, well, whatever the cause of this, maybe it's the earth or maybe it's radiation or whatever it is, it's some kind of a, there's some kind of a scientific explanation for it. But when, but it gets, it goes beyond the realm of what could possibly be normal. When you're talking to the most brilliant person there, and he is perceived by others as a brick. Well, how different can a brilliant savior figure in a dream be from a brick, right? An inanimate object? Are bricks brilliant and intelligent? No. Do you want to have a conversation with a brick? Well, it's actually, they're used to compare people who are stupid. It's like, talk, like when people say, I'm talking to a brick wall. Right. Yeah, it's it's the I, the very antithesis of a brilliant prodigal prodigal kind of um, uh, genius savior character. The antithesis of that would be just a brick, <laughs> the very opposite. And I think this is a great great clue for you. It's saying that you're going to have to in order to in order to navigate this phase of your life you're going to have to be able to perceive realities that your friends will not share that perception of. Does that make sense? Mm. That makes sense. Think about that, right? They, and, and, and what's interesting too is how this actually bodes very well, very, very well. It says some good things about your resources and your, uh, your resources and your strengths at this time. Also, the person who's the savior looked a lot like Lupus from Harry Potter. That's really neat. And the car he because was, he's a very cryptic character. And the car he was he's somebody the car that, he was driving was the you know like the flying Volkswagen that yeah. Ron Weasley drives around. It was that car. Yes. This is the word I love that. You know why I love that? Because there's a particular word that's a word that I've always loved. Um that this dream brings to mind. And that word is cogent. Do you know what cogent means? Well, I'll use it in a sentence. Sunray and I share a cogent understanding about religion, let's say, or any anything, any subject, or a cogent understanding of Eli's uh, strengths and shortcomings, right? Cogent means that it's, it's a private understanding. It's an understanding that we share that other people are not party to. And cogent often means unspoken, right? doesn't need to be spoken. So when you see people give each other glances, what are called knowing glances, you know what I mean? and nobody else in the room understand what the heck's going on, that conveys a token of a cogent understanding. Okay? 
Now, the reason I really like the fact that you pointed out that this guy resembled Lupin is because he's a very cryptic guardian, guide, mentor, savior character in, po in Harry Potter's world. In fact, he gives his life for Harry Potter. But there's that cogent understanding. There's that being of the few elect people who perceive the reality that other people don't share. Harry Potter, once he finally understood Lupin, had this cogent friendship with him and this cogent understanding of who he was that nobody shared. Everybody saw him as the absolute worst, the absolute most violent, horrible person ever. Only Harry Potter knew different. Even, I think, until a couple books later, even his friends didn't know. He had to keep it a secret. Right? So I think that he looked like Lupin, and that was on purpose. That reinforces the idea of a cogent understanding. You see, you perceive in your future self, right? And you are starting to establish a kind of a relationship with your future self. Metaphorically, this is all just symbols. Uh, and your friends aren't going to understand that at all. And you'll see that, that the cogent nature of that, of that relationship that you have with your mature uh, possibilities, your, poten your spiritual, true spiritual potentials, is something that as time goes on, and over the next couple of years, the, the, the gap between your perception and what other people perceive is going to widen. And I'll give you a practical example. A year ago, it wasn't hard to explain to any of your friends that, oh, you know, um, you know, teenagers shouldn't drink, all of these things, right? But as time goes on, a lot of these kids are going to get more and more into the realm of promiscuous sex, into drugs and into alcohol, right? And into just frivolity, you know, just wasting their time on games and stuff. And as you depart from that, because of what you see, as your correct path in, into the future, that is going to be farther and farther away removed from what they perceive. They're not going to see the same. They're not going to understand it. They're going to think you're crazy. So that's, that's super interesting. You know, I yeah. think that the, the wise adult in you is being born. That's what this dream is basically saying. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Renowned mythology expert Joseph Campbell has said, Apocalypse is not about a fiery Armageddon and salvation of a chosen few, but about the fact that our ignorance and our complacency are coming to an end. In the dream of a teenager, it might also be thought of as that inner turmoil and revelation that we go through as things fall apart and new things come up. An apocalypse can relate to those transitional parts of life, such as a divorce or midlife crisis, the journey of death, and of course, the journey of adolescence. In the dream, Ethan is looking at how a lot of his peers are being symbolically destroyed by the turmoil of adolescence, and he is actually provided with some clues and survival strategies, which is meaningfully pictured as a kind of alternate reality like that of the plot of a sci-fi thriller. Emotionally, this theatrical dream makes a kind of sense, 
as a rare and wondrous glimpse into the world of a child trying to survive the process of becoming a man. The dream contains a lot of classical mythological tropes, such as the guide character, the apocalypse itself, and the idea of the protagonist being able to see something important, which no one else can see. In the interview with my son, we talk about some of the meaning of the dream, and there is a lot more to talk about, but rather than doggedly continuing an interpretation, I'd like to just ask you, the listener, to think about dreams and some of their implications. You can leave comments at blog.fazoro.com under this episode heading. Further, I hope this episode has stimulated some thoughts and provided some evidence of how dreams can be like a powerful x-ray to help us achieve greater understanding about ourselves, others, and about life. Dreams do a lot of other things, too, but I hope to encourage people to just think that maybe they are worth writing down and discussing, or even sharing with the world as my son has done here. I really appreciate the listener feedback I received last time. Most of it was very positive, but I appreciate the advice I have received about how to make the podcast stronger in various ways. Thanks for listening in once again. I hope to hear from you. You can visit my site at fazoro.com. That's Foxtrot Alpha India Zulu Oscar Roger Oscar.com. And click on the Fazoro podcast link where you can leave comments and view any show notes and resources. You can also email me at fazoro at gmail.com. Folks, thanks for joining us. Tall and tattoo your tales, your long forgotten gale. No, this ship ain't gonna sail. Mm-hmm. Not be standing in the stern. You taught me how to learn. Now I'm learning your cheating ways. Oh, you taught me how to run. Yeah. Oh, you taught me how to run. Yes, it did. Oh, you taught me how to run. Now I'm running away from you. Now I'm